This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise. I'm Lois Griffiths. Well, it's almost nine months now since the Russian invasion of Ukraine took place. Since then, the fighting, the shelling, the killing in Ukraine has totally dominated our mainstream international news coverage. What's happened in other parts of the world, including the disturbingly increasing violence of the Israeli army and police and settlers on Palestinians, is just ignored. But unreported, too, are the pleas of peace with justice groups for negotiations, peace rallies that took place before the attack. This war need not even have started. Instead, we're still seeing escalations to such a degree that many fear a nuclear confrontation. Diplomacy is so urgently needed, and diplomacy negotiations must include understanding the background, the history to the present situation. Now, on the 7th of February this year, Earthwise interviewed Bruce Gagnon. Bruce is coordinator and co-founder of Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Energy in Space. An experienced campaigner for a world of peace based on justice, Bruce has traveled around the world warning of the dangerous risks of modern high-tech warfare. We discussed, then, the historical background that was leading to the dangerous possibility of a U.S. war with Russia over Ukraine. Let's listen now to what Bruce Gagnon had to tell us. Welcome to Earthwise, Bruce Gagnon. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a privilege. Bruce, just over a year ago, on the 22nd of January, 2021, early in the morning, Martin and I were on the Brighton Pier of Christ Church, where peace activists were celebrating the enactment under international law of the Treaty to Ban Nuclear Weapons. We felt, we hoped, that this was the dawn of a new age. Has this treaty led to any discussion in the U.S.? Because the U.S. is expanding its nuclear arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, it, it, Amongst peace groups, it's a very popular issue. In fact, in uh, Bath, Maine, where I live, uh, we have a U.S. Navy shipyard where they build the Aegis destroyers, and we were out there just last Saturday uh, holding banners and signs about that particular issue. So it's something that uh, resonates very strongly in the peace community, but beyond that, uh, uh, with the public in general or the political class, there's not much interest. Yet we get a lot of pressure here saying we should be joined up with the U.S. because we want a rules-based world. But I keep saying, well, who's setting the rules? Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, the U.S. likes to write the rules, and that's why they want to essentially replace the United Nations with an expanded international NATO. Ooh. NATO's going global, and they don't want to mess around with the United Nations. They don't want to have the Security Council blocking U.S. invasions around the mm. world. And so uh, that's why they're trying so hard to internationalize NATO. Now, recently in Christchurch, they've shown a film, a New Zealand-made film, actually. Um, I don't know if it's gone overseas or not. It's called Mothers of the Revolution, all about the uh, 
Greenwich, Green, sorry, the Greenhand Common demonstration of what, 50 years ago. But the passion then against nuclear weapons was so strong. And yet th that passion seems to fade it, hasn't it? Well, I think the, my own opinion uh, f for the reason uh, it's even different from 2003, you know, uh, when George W. Bush said Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. He went in with shock and awe. And uh, as it turned out, they lied to us. And it was the mainstream media that lied and really pumped up, pumped up that war. And we're seeing the exact same thing. I don't know about your country, but here in the United States and most, most of Europe, it's the same story. The mainstream media is really pumping it up for a war with Russia over Ukraine. And I think, uh, sadly, we find in my country today that even many peace activists are buying the line. They're swallowing the bait, and they're, they've fallen for the demonization of Russia, just the way that Iraq was demonized, just the way that Libya was demonized when they took out Gaddafi, just the way that Syria has been demonized, and before that, uh, the way Yugoslavia was demonized and taken down by Bill Clinton when he was in office. So um, that uh, corporate media consolidation has had a big effect, even on people that consider themselves uh, liberals or leftists, and it, I think it's one of the differences between today and the years past. I think um, one of the things that disturbs me about New Zealand is the media. I don't don't get anything out of our mainstream media. I have to go to the computer. But recently, um, I sort of wonder what's really going on because for recently, for several weeks until recently, all the media has been focusing on us how bad China is. We should stand up to China. China's expanding into the China Sea. And now we've got this AUKUS, this military alliance between Australia, U.S., and uh, U.K. But now, and also I've read about Israel threatening Iran. But now, we're, all of our coverage is about this possible war with Russia over Ukraine. And yet it's, it's something we've seen before, isn't it? Well, we have uh, back at the Cold War. <clears throat> I think uh, the way I best understand what's going on today is <clears throat> the window of opportunity is closing for the U.S. and the West the <clears throat> that has historically ruled uh, the roost, has been king of the hill of the world uh, economic, economically, and uh, we know about the empire, you know, the British Empire and the, and the European control of Africa over the years. All of that is fading now. And so this idea of this unipolar control of the world by the West is really, really diminishing daily. Moving towards a time of multipolar world where <clears throat> countries like China, and Russia and Iran and Venezuela and other such countries in the global south are saying we're tired of having this Western domination of everything and we're moving towards a point where all the countries in the world uh, have 
more say in developing the global economy and other such things. And I think we find today that the U.S. and NATO are feeling tremendously desperate to try to hang on to that power, but it's fading, as I say. So they're really, I think, making these desperate moves and these desperate claims to try to engage uh, with China and Russia, but it's becoming extremely dangerous, extremely deadly, because neither one of those countries are pushovers. So unlike Iraq, unlike Libya, unlike Syria, Yugoslavia, the United States isn't able to just push over uh, China or Russia. Uh, they're up against now a country that really could fight back, has nuclear weapons. Uh, and I really worry that the United States is so literally demented with its greed and power and its belief in and uh, 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 that it's, you know, the king of the world, uh, that it's really become an extremely, extremely dangerous country. And we don't even know who really runs the United States anymore. Biden is not certainly running the United States government today. He's incapable of doing it. He's half asleep. And so uh, we all here wonder who's really running the show. And we can only come down to one solid answer, and that's the corporate oligarchs from Wall Street, from the military-industrial complex. And I remember Mussolini's, during World War II in Italy, his definition of fascism was the wedding of corporations and government. And surely that's what we have in the United States today. I'm glad you're talking about the corporate power because I think that's something we're not focusing on here. It really means, doesn't it, Bruce, it doesn't matter that much who's president, does it? Yeah, I don't think since the assassination of JFK here in the United States, President Kennedy, that uh, we now know, thanks to films, especially by Oliver Stone, he's got a new film out, kind of an updated film on the assassination and the cover-up of President Kennedy. And he really, really clearly lays it on the hands in the lap of the CIA. <clears throat> especially Alan Dulles, who was the director of the CIA. Kennedy fired him because he didn't trust him. And then they took Kennedy out. And I think since that time, the nobody becomes president in the United States unless essentially they've been vetted and trained and are under the control of the CIA. Um, I, and uh, that might sound outlandish to some people, but I think it's... it's uh, you know, when you look at who's really running the United States, I, I think the answer is the CIA, which is a combination of, again, these corporations, Wall Street, the oil corporations, the military-industrial complex, big pharma, all together, these interests, these corporations, uh, the CIA is really their front instrument to control the United States, and then also try to control the world as well. Yes, so let's get back to Ukraine now. I think we have to talk a bit about the history, just to remind people, because we did a program with you, I think it was in 2014, and that's the year 
Well, let's go back a bit. Why was NATO formed? I understand it was formed to oppose Soviet Russia, wasn't it? That's right. And so uh, the Soviet Union had an equivalent military alliance called the uh, Warsaw Pact Alliance. And after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev was the president of the Soviet Union at the time. At the time of the collapse, <clears throat> the, they disbanded the Warsaw Pact. And then they turned to NATO and said, okay, you should disband too. You know, we're not an enemy. Russia, you know, Russia is not an enemy to you anymore. And uh, we don't think we need these alliances. The U.S. refused. And so they, uh, they then came to Gorbachev and said, we want you to agree to the reunification of Germany. He said, well, you know, Germany is what invaded us during World War II. We lost 27 million people in the Soviet Union fighting against them. Uh, just to give you an example uh, of the sacrifice that they made, uh, the United States lost 500,000 people during World War II. That is a lot of people, no doubt. But 27 million people from the Soviet Union died fighting the Nazis. So that's a big, big difference. But anyway, uh, so uh, but uh, Gorbachev was reluctant, but he finally agreed to the reunification of Germany under one condition, and that would be this NATO, which refused to uh, dissolve, would not move towards Russia, would not move one centimeter towards Russia. And U.S. Secretary of State Jim Baker at the time made that promise to Russia. Unfortunately, they didn't get it in writing. But when Bill Clinton came into office, he created a program called NATO Enlargement. Mm. And he, he's, uh, he led the beginning of the expansion uh, of NATO into the towards Russia, and today it's on steroids. And this is what uh, one of the, the, the reasons why this, this whole thing is so contentious at this time, because uh, Russia is being surrounded by this steroidal NATO. And at the same time, actually, China is too, because NATO is moving into the Asia-Pacific, signing up all these partners, Japan, Korea, Singapore, um, other countries as well, Australia, I think, New Zealand, maybe as well. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's become a real problem. And so Russia is just saying, look, we can't take this anymore. It's basically become a Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse. Just to give you an example, in Poland and Romania, the U.S. has built two uh, missile launch facilities <clears throat> that can launch cruise missiles, which are first-strike attack weapons. They're nuclear-capable, and from two countries very close to Russia, they could uh, hit Russia in what would be a Cuban Missile Crisis in reverse. And so Russia is... it's. Uh, demands that it's made in these recent negotiations with the United States that the American media is characterizing as really ridiculous. These demands are ridiculous. They're outrageous. Uh, well, what Russia is demanding is pull back your missiles, close those places, stop the expansion of NATO, do not go into Ukraine, stop arming Ukraine with conventional forces, 
<clears throat> excuse me, which are routinely being used to attack the Russian ethnic Ukrainian citizens who live right on the Russian border. And you have to go back to World War II again to understand some of the tensions in Ukraine when Hitler swept through Ukraine uh, as he was invading the Soviet Union. When he got into the western part of Ukraine, which is near the Poland border, uh, a guy by the name of Stefan Bandera put on a Nazi uniform. He was a nationalist leader, put on a Nazi uniform, gathered his forces. They put on Nazi uniforms, and they joined the Hitler assault on their fellow citizens. They killed tens of thousands of Jews and Poles and other people in that region of western Ukraine. And so today, uh, after this 2014 coup d'etat that the U.S. orchestrated in Kiev, in Ukraine, at the capital, um, the uh, Nazis helped make that thing happen. They, they were the ones in Kiev that were killing the police and killing people in, uh, in what they called the Maidan at this time of the so-called revolution that overthrew an elected uh, president in Ukraine. And after, after that uh, successful, quote-unquote, uh, coup, uh, the United States decided who was going to be installed as the new leader. And the first thing that was passed in the new uh, Rada, or the parliament, was a bill saying uh, the speaking of Russian is no longer allowed in Ukraine. Well, that's ridiculous, because half the country speaks Russian, especially the part of the country that is closest to the Russian border, the Russian ethnic people. And so the people there in the region called Donbass, the two big cities are Lugansk and Donetsk, and right on the Russian border. It's mostly a coal mining area. They began having peaceful rallies and marches and collecting signatures saying, we want a federated Ukraine. They didn't say we want to get out of Ukraine. They said we want a federated Ukraine where we can decide what language we speak and also elect our local officials, our mayors and council persons for the local city governments. And as soon as they did that, these Nazis that still exist today from western Ukraine were sent to the eastern side of the country, to the Donbass region along the Russian border, and they began killing these people that were peacefully protesting, gathering signatures. And these miners came out of the mines with whatever they could grab to try to defend literally their families. And the United States, right after 2014, set up a training base in Western Ukraine to train these Nazi <clears throat> death squads, really. And they put fancy uniforms on them. They brought over U.S. Army Special Forces from Fort Carson, Colorado, to train these Nazis. I know this because one of my closest friends, his son was one of the trainers, and so I was getting these nice. first-hand reports. And uh, so anyway, after they're trained and armed and everything else and directed, they're then sent over to the eastern part of the country, where since 2014 they've been shelling from a very near distance, shelling civilian homes, uh, apartment blocks, railroad stations, churches, hospitals, daycare centers, schools, 
water treatment plants, sewer treatment plants, basically the entire infrastructure of the Donbass region. And the people began to slowly uh, get some arms. They got some from these people that were trying to kill them. They would capture these arms at times. And then Russia also began sending them weapons so they could defend themselves. Some people call them Russian separatists. The media do all the time. I call them self-defense forces who are literally trying to protect their families. <clears throat> Over 10,000 have been killed. I've been there, hosted by a, a labor, labor leader from Lugansk, taken to both Donetsk and Lugansk, and shown these places, apartment blocks, right in the, <clears throat> right in the heart of Donetsk. Empty so, did now. you say you were there yourself? Yes, yes, oh. two years ago. Yeah. And these apartment blocks right in the heart of the city, now empty, uh, because they were, they were shelled over and over again. And, uh, you know, windows all broken, holes in the walls, crumbling, uh, you know, uh, facade, all that kind of thing. It's just unbelievable. And the media has never reported any of this to the public, especially in this country, I'll tell you that. So this is something that's really driving this situation today. And now what's happening is Britain and the United States and Poland and the Baltic countries, Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia, who get weapons from the West, they're all now giving more weapons to Ukraine, which then are put into the hands of these Nazis, and they're doubling the number of of their army now on this line of contact in the Donbass, very close to the Russian border. And this is why the Russians have <clears throat> sent all of uh, this, you know, they, they've sent a sizable military force up near that border. They're still in Russia. They haven't crossed the border into Ukraine, but they're there to protect the people of the Donbass. 800,000 of them have now got passports from Russia. So they're official Russian citizens. There's no way that Russia is going to allow the U.S., NATO, U.K., or the Ukrainian Nazis attack the Donbass and kill more people. They've already killed over 10,000. Uh, there's no way they're going. Uh, Russia's going to let them get away with it. Well, here we are, That's, Bruce, at a, a very scary moment. Looking at it from this end, we see two powerful nuclear forces facing each other. Yes, our own media goes on and on about Russia's forces lining up. At least they're on their own land. Is there any hope? I'm quite interested in what the, um, the head of the German Navy had to say. Yeah, that was a <clears throat> really a wonderful uh, gift, actually, that uh, the head of the German Navy just over the last few days <clears throat> said that he thought that all Putin wanted was respect and that he thought Putin deserved respect, <clears throat> excuse me. And also he said that he didn't believe Russia wanted to invade uh, uh, Ukraine. It wasn't looking to do that. And he got basically fired. He, he was told to resign. Uh, but this has really enlivened the debate in Europe. And apparently uh, France, Germany, Italy, are trying to tell the United States, hey, we don't really want to go to war. You know, we don't want to be a part of this war. We don't want a war in Europe. They know if it goes to nuclear, everybody's dead, right? Mm. And uh, uh, at the same time, some other countries, Spain, Hungary, 
are also, uh, I think, more privately uh, saying that they're not happy about this. So this is one thing that could slow this freight train down. Um, but we all need to be doing more. We all need to be speaking up more. We all need to be contacting the media, even though it's difficult to get them to pay attention. We need to be contacting uh, the politicians. And most importantly, we need to be sharing information about this real story with the public. And I, I really uh, would like to suggest a, a film produced by Oliver Stone, made in 2016, called Ukraine on Fire. It's on YouTube. Anybody listening, just go to YouTube. Ukraine armed fire. Search for Ukraine on fire 2016, Oliver Stone. And it really lays out the whole story, the whole timeline, what happened. It's really well done. Well done. uh, uh, And Stone interviews many of the key players in this whole uh, thing. So we need to share this information so that more people in the public really understand and don't fall victim to the to the uh, uh, BS that we're getting from the mainstream media. What we're trying to do, what and I are trying to do, is spread the news of this film, whether to the revolution. Is so, you know, <laughs> nuclear issues are serious, and we should be on our toes. But you're, you're quite right. Getting on onto the media is difficult now. But um, that's why we have Earthwise. And thank you for talking to us, Bruce Gagnon. Remind people. Well, thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I hope your husband is going to feel better soon. Thank you very much, Bruce. Such a good man, Bruce Gagnon of Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Energy in Space. His website is spaceforpeace.org, space, S P A C E. Number four, P-E-A-C-E dot org. The world must demand a stop to the fighting, and true diplomacy requires an understanding of the historical background. From us at Earthwise, goodbye. Goodbye.